there's so many other critical factors that these um, surgeons have to worry about whenever they're trying to recreate a human, you know, a form of the human anatomy that having to worry about tattooing it, someone like myself can take that off the plate for them. You know, it must be, you know, one less thing that they have to sit there and worry about. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Amy Black, who is a tattoo artist. She runs a successful tattoo shop in Richmond, Virginia, um, but that's not really all she does. She's a little bit different than a usual tattoo artist. After being contacted several years ago by a breast cancer survivor to tattoo a realistic-looking nipple on her, Amy's whole career kind of changed. She still does regular tattoo work in her shop, but has a big portion of her business that is now dedicated to helping post-mastectomy breast cancer survivors with either tattooing a realistic-looking nipple for them or some sort of beautiful memorial tattoo piece like the one that I use for the photo for this episode. So if you saw the photo for this episode, either on halfhourintern.com or um, on my Facebook or Instagram, that is a photo from one of Amy's patients. She's been featured in her own TED Talk about her mastectomy work, um, as well as on tons of other news outlets. And she's just doing a really great thing and has now started a nonprofit as well to help these women that, uh, that have survived breast cancer. So without further ado, here is mastectomy tattoo artist. Amy, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, so I've got to tell you, I am like so excited to have you as the tattoo artist that I'm interviewing. Uh, a friend of mine just uh, the other day mentioned that he knew you and and set up this whole interview and everything, and I feel so fortunate. I've had a tattoo artist on my list of people that I've wanted to interview for quite a while now, and I just haven't gotten around to it. And I feel like you're so much more than a tattoo artist with everything that you've taken on with tattooing and breast reconstruction and like your nonprofit and helping so many people's lives. So like, I'm, I don't know, I'm just so excited to, uh, to learn more about your whole story. Thanks, Blake. I'm excited to talk to you. So I'm really uh, glad that uh, we had that connection happen. So yeah, so let's start out with just uh, like kind of the regular tattoo background. And then later on, we'll move into some of the uh, the breast reconstruction stuff. So like, what is your background? And what made you want to get into being a tattoo artist? Um, my well, my background started when I was really young in the arts, uh, art field in general. I always wanted to be an artist, um, even before first grade. So that was my um, career track, pretty much, believe it or not. Um, and then once I went into college, I chose to go into fine, <clears throat> excuse me, fine art, oil painting, and figurative drawing um, direction, and just uh, was hoping to be able to paint and draw for people. And I had a, a really heavy focus on human anatomy. It was just something I was naturally drawn to. Um, but also getting through college, not only was that when I got my first tattoo, uh, but it was a really big eye-opener to whether or not I thought I could hack it in the art field and make a living. Um, so uh, that's kind of the basis of, of uh, you know, where how long I've been doing art and where I was coming from. So the tattoo thing, um, like I said, it started in college, and it just really was a natural 
um, passion, secondary passion, not only because of the design quality of it, but um, with my love for anatomy, being able to decorate anatomy was really um, fascinating to me. Um, so it grew pretty quickly. What was, what was that first tattoo that you ever got? So the first tattoo I ever got, it was really small because um, I wasn't sure if I was going to like having a tattoo on my own body. I <laughs> yeah. love I loved seeing them on other people, um, but I wasn't sure about myself. So I got something that was probably about the size. It was like, it's like about an inch by wide by half inch tall. And it's just a couple of Korean um, symbols. And uh, what I am... Korean. I was uh, born in Korea, but I was adopted. So I've grown up in um, America mostly. Uh, but the saying in Korea basically boils down to telling myself to never give in and to never give up. Dude, that uh, that's beautiful. That's awesome. <laughs> Pretty simple, but covers a lot of bases, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So what? Uh, at what point did you take it seriously? And were you like, all right, maybe as opposed to just being a tattoo collector, I could actually be a tattoo artist? So it started to kind of creep into my mind probably around the mid-90s. So that would be around 95 or 96. Um, and it still didn't seem like a tangible reality. There, Like I said, there still weren't a lot of female tattoo artists back then. Um, but I started to reach out to some of the people I was getting tattooed by um, or some of the other tattooers I'd seen who I really liked their work and just starting to um, question and say, hey, what's the possibility of s- someone like me um, trying to get an apprenticeship and what, you know, what would you what do you need from me in order to get there? Um, but it wasn't until I had actually moved out of Ohio um, where I was at the time and moved into Richmond, Virginia. Um, and uh, that that started to become even more of a reality. And honestly, I had tried a couple of times in Ohio and um, it just wasn't working out. And I'd kind of given up when I moved to Richmond. Um, and then it wasn't until about a year and a half or so after I moved to Richmond that it really just had this. It, I can't explain it any other way than I just had this um, total drawing force. It was just something that just came right back into my mind and said, you need to give this, you know, one more shot. Um, And then if it doesn't work out this time again, then we drop it and we go for something else. It's like your tattoo Um, said. It's like your first tattoo. Yeah. And and that's the try that got me to here. Third third time's a charm. (laughs) I can't imagine you talking about um, about how few women there were back in like, you know, 95, 96. I can't imagine what it was like them being a Korean woman uh, tattoo artist. You must have been like the only one. I don't know. I guess I never thought about it, but you're probably right. I mean, I, I kind of, I'm uh, Korean by birth, but really American, you know, like I've been here since I was six months old. So I just kind of consider myself American for sure. But that's a good point. Um, yeah, there weren't that many out there at all. And I know that back in Korea itself, I think tattooing is still illegal. So who knows? No way. Wow. All right. Yeah. So what, uh, like, what does just a typical day look like for you now as, as a tattoo artist? Like, what percentage of the time are you tattooing people? What percentage of the time are you trying to, like, market yourself and get new clients? Or is it all just referral-based at this point? So you just get to sit back and do tattoos all day? 
Um, it's all completely referral based. Um, the guys, whenever I first moved to Richmond, um, there, the tattoo shop that I own now was actually started by two other guys and they worked the same way. They didn't really do any advertising. They didn't have a website. Um, and we, the shop was listed under art galleries instead of tattoo shops. Um, cause they were really trying to go for a totally different vibe and approach to the, um, to what they were creating. And so do you guys actually led- also have art like on the walls and that you sell and stuff or you just put it there? The- yeah, the original shop did. Um, we had a really small gallery space in the front, um, and then there was a, a small room um, towards the back where the um, two original guys would tattoo, and uh, we would curate shows about monthly in the front. So that was about that was around like 1998 till about 2004. It sounds like a really cool spot. It was awesome. <laughs> it cultivated a lot of uh, what I love about tattooing and what i uh you know strive to to keep going today if somebody comes in and they ask for something that you think is like way too like outlandish or ridiculous or that it's just gonna look weird for some reason um do you do you like try to guide them in any way and and like help them make a better choice or or do you feel like look like this is their body so whatever they want to do is what they want to do and i it's not my place to try to like offer my opinion or my help to this person and then does that change depending on the person's age like if a 18 year old comes in are you more likely to offer them some help than if a 35 year old comes in sure um that's a really good question and i'll answer it sounded kind of like a two-parter um so I usually just refer that person out if I think what they want might not be within my scope of um, abilities or it's just not something, a project I'm really that interested in doing. And if it if it's too outlandish and weird, you know, for when I'm looking at it, maybe I'm just not the right artist. You know, maybe they need to search for somebody who's going to be really passionate about doing that particular piece for them, even though I don't feel like I I am. Right. So that's typically how I approach um, those um, project requests. And then the second question you had about age, my um, clients tend to um, veer more into the slightly older um, age range. Um, The average age of my client would definitely be probably above 25 and older. Um, And I actually have a nice um, amount of 50 and older clients um, and even 70 and older. Wow, so, that's awesome. Y- yeah. It's, and I, I'm super excited and open to the clients, especially if it's their first tattoo and they're like, you know, late 60s, mid 60s and up. It's like a lot of them have been waiting a lifetime in order to get what they um, have been wanting. And so I just say, go for it. You know? <laughs> like, totally. Aside from the breast reconstruction stuff, which we'll get to here in just a little bit, are there any tattoos that you've done over the years that are like really, really memorable for you or like a really memorable day that you had at the shop? There's a lot of them, um, which I'm very grateful for. It's like every year there's always like amazing things that'll happen. Um, Really awesome clients. Um, I think this year I probably had some more critical uh, pieces for clients who had gone through self-harm 
um, and had done things like cutting or picking themselves at wow. some point in their life. Yeah. And uh, had moved on from that and were ready to cover them. Um, so it was just really um, great to not only be a, a part of that for them, but to um, see the decisions that they were making and what they wanted to, to use now in order to cover a lot of the scarring that they had. Um, wow, so that what was a cool thing to be a part of. That's something I didn't think much about until researching what you do with breast reconstruction and stuff, but like the level of, I guess, closure that you can provide someone for an entire like time period in their life. Yeah, um, I've done a lot of very, um, like, uh, just important memorial pieces for people for difficult things almost every year that I've been tattooing. But usually it's not over old scars. Usually it's more um, something visual that's going to be representation of a purely an emotional thing that's happened to them, you know, or a mental thing that's happened to them. Right. But to see that um, actually acted out um, physically on someone's body, um, you know, it just... I don't know. There's there it it hit like this different um, factor with me. I think um, I can't really quite explain it because uh, I do work a lot more visually than even verbally or you know through writing a lot. So yeah, who who knows? But um, yeah, just being able to see them using art in general as um, a a way to transition from what was a tough period into their life into a new area of life is always awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I think for a lot of people, um, having that, if you want to call it abstract way, but I mean, that's not really the right way to, to say it, but it, uh, like an, yeah. abstra- an abstract way of thinking about that and uh, of coping with that and of dealing with whatever the thing is or trying to bring closure to it. So many people, like especially myself all the time, it's like you try to just use your intellect or just use your logic or your words or whatever it is to to get you through something in life and you like think your way through it, you know? But there's so much to be said for the whole entire other side of the brain that is is more artistic and, and like you said, connect to something maybe visually as opposed to with words or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what art is. It's nonverbal communication. And so a lot of times whenever you've had an emotional or mental trauma that's happened to you, it's nonverbal. That's why it's emotional or mental. It was a feeling. It was like a vibration. It was an intense thing. So sometimes in order to um, either fix or heal or move past it, whatever you need to, um, being able to use yet another nonverbal form to do that is what I think is a lot of people use tattoos for. Um, and it, it really makes a huge difference. Like, um, I just did a really big clipper ship for somebody, um, and her, her mother passed away from breast cancer. Um, and it just, the symbolism of it had a lot, a lot of meaning for her. Um, and to finally have that tattoo done on her, um, it just felt like she, um, at the end of it, she was like, okay, you know, like I finally got this image that I really, really wanted. Um, and even though no one else is going to see it, she knows it's there. She'll be able to see it whenever she wants to. And, um, it's almost like she's not going to have to necessarily be caught up in thinking about all of that anymore. Like now it's, it, it's like encased in this image and she can, she can just kind of move on. Man, that's Um, so neat. I've never really thought about tattoos like that before, but yeah, it's like you're 
your analogy or, or it wasn't an analogy, but like your description of, of like energy and stuff like that. It's like, you're, you're helping the person, um, meet that trauma with, with a, a like energy. Like you said, like a lot of, yeah. a lot of these like traumas are not like verbal traumas. Like it's just this thing that happened, you know? So, exactly. um, trying yeah. to talk it out might not always be the, the best thing you're, you're meeting it with more, with a more like energy with, with something visual. Exactly. That's really cool. So what do you think makes for a really great tattoo? And has your opinion of that changed over the years? Um, I always have felt that the, for the most important part is, um, I do, I do a lot of different stuff, um, on clients, both, um, art genre, location, um, subject matter, um, the, the overall style of it. So I think what's most important is the best ones I've seen is whenever the client can very clearly communicate what they want and um, feel really, really confident about where they're placing it, you know, how big they want it, um, what style they want it done. And then my favorite ones are always whenever we finish it and the client often feels this way too, but we both can look at it and we can both say it looks like it's always been there. Wow. Yeah? That's really cool. Yeah. Like it was just completely it's, meant to be. Yeah. It was like this mental image that they had had in their head for so long. And I usually encourage clients to place things where their gut tells them to. So it's almost like you're just bringing this thing to life that maybe wasn't there you know, before in reality, but for them, it really, it was, it was just, you know, always a, a thought. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that the more that the client explains the why to a tattoo behind you as well, or, and I guess like the more you were talking about, like how a client's clarity on, on what they are going to get and everything really, really helps make the tattoo good. Do you find that their clarity on why they're getting it also helps the whole process come together better? Yeah, definitely. And then so that um, then can vacillate from one client to another because it can be really complex for some or it can be like one tiny flower for someone else. And for me, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you're getting some crazy complex piece or if you're getting like, you know, a rose. It's all about, you know, your intention. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you think makes a good tattooer like what uh what qualities and what things make a good tattooer um i guess from my personal perspective and um there's a lot of tattoo artists out there and there's a lot of great ones um who might not have the best bedside manner so to say but then do <laughs> absolutely absolutely stunning tattoos and vice versa you know sometimes there's people out there that are, have great personalities and maybe their art isn't like as you know mind blowing as someone else's but people love them because of who, you know they're the, who they are as a person um so it's a pretty to me it's not an easy like black and white answer at all there's so much gray area that i've come across in the tattoo world um so there's I, I love name. that you even talk about that because I, uh, all I was even thinking about was purely skill-based things. I love that you bring up bedside manner and personality is things that make a great tattoo artist. 
Yeah. I mean, there's guys out there that I look up to and I think their stuff is great. Um, but I've heard some of the funniest stories about how they deal with clients. And <laughs> some it's not always um professional or super nice sometimes. Yeah. But um at the same time it the tattoo world started in a much uh, less professional place than a lot of other jobs uh, that people get. You know, it did have a pretty seedy past and still can in some areas. So just kind of was par for the course. And it was mostly um, a lot of guys that were tattooing in the, in the beginning. I mean, now, who knows? It might be a little closer to 50-50. But, um, yeah, you know, tattoos weren't for everybody years ago. It was something that was more for the rebellious culture anyway. Yeah. But um, but to get back to your main question, um, after making that super <laughs> drawn out, was, um, <laughs> sorry, uh, was, um, uh, for me, I appreciate the art and the energy first. Um, and also to make sure that the technical aspects of the tattoo tattoos that they're doing are good. Um, the form, the media of tattooing um, has very specific rules to it as far as dealing with the skin and how to create an image that's going to last the test of time. And it's very difficult to break those rules. And so I look for those, the, the tattooers that follow that, the technical, you know, rules of that, um, and then if they are awesome people as well, then, you know, that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Why but those people exist? I know a lot of them, but go ahead. Uh, I was going to ask why, why is it like, so I don't have, um, any tattoos. I, I've just been like too scared. Like, it's exactly uh, like what it's exactly like you said, like, I love looking at other people with tattoos. I think that they look beautiful, but just for whatever reason, I've been too big of a wuss to ever get one on my own body. But, um, it's like, totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> I know you, you know that, but it's like, People sometimes they'll meet people and they'll be like, "I'm sorry, I don't have any tattoos." And I'm like, "You don't need to apologize to me." It, <laughs> yeah, it's for totally sure. Totally okay, and not everyone should have a tattoo. I'm the first one to tell someone that. Yeah, there should be no judgment ahead. either way. Um, yeah. So why is it that some tattoos look so like vibrant and just like pop off of someone's skin and other tattoos look like pretty dull? Is that something in the tattoo artist? Is it just the ink? Does it have to do with the person's skin? That question is way too open to be able to really make one particular comment on because it could be a, a huge like variation of issues it could be the ink that the um artists use it could be the way that they tattooed it could be the way that the client healed it it could be the client's skin type it could be whether or not their blood was too thin like there's so much so it's really difficult to answer that like what easily. as uh, as a client if anyone listening to this is thinking about going and getting a tattoo and not that their tattoo artist wouldn't give them this advice anyways but what as a client can someone try to do to give themselves like the best chances of just having a really really good looking tattoo um well first of all the better um care you take of yourself and your skin is probably at the top of the list um there's a 
a myth that travels around that um, says, you know, oh, you should go have a drink right before or do a shot of whiskey or get, you know, a beer beforehand to dull the pain. And the medical truth of that is that that's actually horrible <laughs> for getting a tattoo. Not for the, the pain and relaxing factor of it, but um, alcohol thins your blood. And so the more that you bleed during the tattoo process, the more you're actually um, thinning the tattoo pigment that the, the artist is trying to put in there. Yeah, that's a good point. So those were some of the basics. Other than that, I try to tell clients, you know, don't take aspirin or other blood thinning products 24 hours beforehand. And it's really important to eat like about an hour beforehand too. Some people might get nervous since they, they go in on an empty stomach and that's a really bad idea. Um, but so as far as getting the best possible outcome, the other really critical thing to do is to um, make sure that the artist you're going to has a really comprehensive and current tattoo portfolio and that you can look through several you know, different types of tattoos that they've done and make sure that you like what you see. It, yeah, I imagine it's kind of like like anything else in life where just because you're good at a specific um, type of something doesn't mean that you're good at something else. Like if, uh, if you're good at barbecuing steaks, that doesn't mean that you're good at barbecuing chicken or whatever. So to your point of, I guess, looking through someone's entire portfolio, maybe trying to find something that has some sort of similarity with what you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. I, <laughs> I like that. I, uh, just, uh, compared the amazing art that you guys do with barbecuing some chicken but uh that's all i no, can think of at the great. time <laughs> that's <laughs> so. a per perfect analogy i mean that's what i do all day at work too is whenever i'm um, contacting clients and you know sometimes i'll get clients that have no um art background at all and they feel worried that they're not going to be able to communicate what they want and so it's always sort of a game to just figure out another way to frame it yeah. on the art process to help them get to where they can communicate effectively. So if it's about barbecuing chicken or, you know, whatever, <laughs> that's yeah. great. I, I appreciate your, uh, your condolence. Um, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's move on to the breast reconstruction stuff. Cause this is amazing to me and so, so, so wonderful and fantastic. So how, how did this all start? Like, what what was the genesis of all of this? Um, so I'd been tattooing for about 10 years. And I basically got what it was a cold call sort of mass email from a breast cancer client who was canvassing um, Richmond to hopefully find um, a tattoo artist to help her tattoo a realistic 3D-looking nipple and areola or areola on her once uh, implant, she'd have a single-sided mastectomy. But she was hoping to find someone local, and she was really hoping she'd get lucky and find a woman that could help her out. Right. Um, so it started with her, and I always give her massive like kudos because she'd never had a tattoo in her life, and she just started calling shops when the when the contact came through, um, and she explained what she was looking for. Um, you know, it just all clicked in my mind. On my end, I was going, well, that's was my passion uh, that drove me into college. That's the stuff I studied and excelled at um, and loved the most in college. And now I've been tattooing for 10 years. So I know exactly what techniques I need to, you know, to apply from the tattoo end of everything. And then I also know what I need to apply from the pure art end of everything to create that, the trompe l'oeil, you know, the, the 
fake effect to make something look 3D. Right. I, um, it's honestly <clears throat> amazing, like how well you did right off the bat. I, I watched your TED talk that you did, and in that you show the very first patient ever. So it must have been this woman, and it's unbelievable, like how good the very first one ever was. Like it, it when you're looking at it straight on, it just it looks perfect like you would there's no way that you wouldn't think that that just was like a nipple you know it looks perfectly 3d and and just perfect thank you thank you very much um i I felt i don't it was one of those moments when i felt so confident that i could do this for this woman that i i didn't even tell her that i had to think about it i instantly said i can do this and it was really just meant to be if it was just going to be a one-time thing, then uh, that was fine with me. Like I was so thrilled to be able to help somebody in the in that way, um, just once in my life. So what happened and, after uh, that? Then you say like if it was just going to be a one-time thing, it clearly it wasn't just a one-time thing. So uh, how did this all snowball? It snowballed because she happened to be um, getting her plastic surgeons that she was going to see. Um, they were part of a larger practice here where there was six or seven surgeons and this all happened by chance. So she happens to find me and gets the tattoo done. It takes us a few sessions to do it because I wanted to take my time, make sure everything was perfect. And then she was still getting checkups with her plastic surgeon while we were going through the sessions, which took like, you know, every couple of weeks she would come back and we'd adjust something. So they were seeing it was almost like uh, my resume was being seen by them in person. Right. And then they saw the final product. But while all that was happening, they had um, a like an assistant or a technician at their offices who um, was no longer able to do the work. So then they became um, in a situation where they needed to find somebody. Um, and it had also created a backlog of patients because the um, other technician ended up being out for months longer than they thought that she would be. And so they, after I was finished with that first one, um, I'm, I think they just reached out. I can't remember if the client told me they were going to call me because I needed somebody. But basically, at some point, I just got a contact. They said, you know, we've seen your work. We were wondering if you were at all able to, you know, consider coming in to help us out um, doing more of this type of uh, tattooing. So you and would actually work at there. their office? Yeah. Wow. So, and you mentioned the whole tech thing and stuff. So, do, uh, do like at plastic surgeons' offices, do they sometimes do the tattooing themselves, or like have their tech do it, or what, like what typically happens? So it's uh, it varies, and I'm not a hundred percent as educated as I should be on this particular thing, but I'm pretty sure that they teach the plastic surgeons as part of um, doing breast reconstruction for a mastectomy. They teach them how to tattoo. But um, I was there and I said, you know, I can just imagine that there's so many other critical factors that these um, surgeons have to worry about whenever they're trying to recreate a human, you know, a form of the human anatomy that having to worry about tattooing it, someone like myself can take that off the plate for them. You know, it must be, you know, one less thing that they have to sit there and worry about. Because I can't, I still don't even understand how they do what they do. It's like crazy the um, types of reconstructions I've seen that are just amazing. 
anyway, but yeah, so I was uh, called in to work at their offices because they'd lost their other technician. And so by the time that I was um, taken on board with them, like they already had kind of like a backup of, of uh, patients that needed to be seen. So wow. that's how it kind of started to snowball from there. Man, it's Getting just back. such like a win, win, win. It's like a win for the surgeon, a win for you, a win for the patient. Like you said, I got to imagine that that can't, it's like it just can't be as high on the surgeon's priority list as it is for you to make this thing look great. You know, like they, they have so much else to worry about in the process of that surgery. Um, and, and they're completely not trained to do that. And I, I got to imagine as the patient, it's like you way rather have someone like you who makes this like, frankly, like this beautiful piece of art, like this thing that just looks perfect is if it was naturally there to begin with, as opposed to just like a stamp of, you know, like a fake looking piece of anatomy. Well, I mean, I think, I think that first of all, like the surgeons are still totally, obviously they're, they're definitely very focused on trying to make everything look as perfect as they can. And they, they, I, the surgeons I work with are fantastic. So even when it comes down to the nipple tattoos, if they have to do them, they're, they're going to do the best job that they can. Um, but I think just on an artistic level, um, you know, I, I don't think there's training that is, um, made available for them. Um, that could be as uh, complex as someone like myself who just comes at things from purely an art perspective. And, you know, I don't have to, uh, I don't have the medical uh, background and all that training that they've been through Yeah, definitely. Um, to, to come at this. So, um, you know, I think that all of the plastic surgeons that I've come in contact with, um, you know, they, they're capable the stuff they do is, like I said, totally astounding, um, right down to the nipples that they create for um, patients. Um, and then whenever it comes back to trying to recreate the coloring and the texture and all that stuff through tattooing, I still think that there's a lot of great sur- surgeons out there that do stellar work. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I kind of feel like their job, if they can kind of take that one step off of their plate and just worry about that, you know, all the other stuff then yeah, <laughs> they yeah. probably like to. Yeah, definitely good for everyone involved. So what is it like working on scar tissue as opposed to regular tissue for a regular tattoo? Do you have to like continually bring the person back to touch it up over and over again? Does it kind of like just break down the ink after a while? How, how does that all work? Uh, scar tissue is really tricky. Um, it doesn't have a rhyme or reason to it. It's going to be dep- dependent on the shape of the scar, um, where the scar is, um, how old it is, how tough it is, or textured, um, the person's skin type. All those variables are going to play into it. And so it's constantly going to throw kind of like a wild card in there a little bit as to how the tattoo is going to age over some of those areas too. Um, generally, scars are going to reject ink faster than the surrounding skin. Um, but it's not always going to happen like that. Um, over the past like four years that I've been doing this, um, coming up on five, uh, I haven't seen as many um, problems having to tattoo over the scar line. Um, and a lot of that, for me personally, does come to making sure that the scars are, are as healed as they possibly can be before I tattoo over them. Hmm. That's got to take yeah. a while sometimes then. <clears throat> 
Sometimes it does. Um, they're also just within the past year or so, I've seen surgeons who are starting to use different techniques um, that seem to help patients heal faster. So, um, you know, when I first started in doing the mastectomy stuff in 2011, trying to tattoo a woman three months out from her final surgery was usually not going to happen. Um, but uh, this past year, I feel like it's been more and more uh it's been happening more, which is great. It's amazing because yeah. this uh, incisions from those scars are really difficult. I think um, to heal up. But anyway, it's so great. Like surgeons are so amazing. It's so great that they keep on being innovative and trying to find new ways to do this. Like rather than just to find new ways to do new things, it's like they try to find new ways to do old things and do them better and better and better and better. And uh, we all owe them like such a debt of gratitude for that. It's, it's awesome. Oh yeah. If you had seen the mastectomy, the photos of mastectomy clients, like from 15 years ago, you would be shocked like 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, huge leaps and bounds are being made. Like when I first ever even knew what a mastectomy was, was in the mid eighties. And there really were no reconstruction choices at that point. Um, and usually I think a lot of women would just um, have their breasts removed and, and have nothing and just have to deal with some pretty massive scarring too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's, that's a very good transition. Uh, during your TED Talk, you mentioned um, the idea of like, uh, quote unquote, drive-by for a breast cancer survivor. If you could explain that concept and kind of how how you're helping with that. Sure, um, that concept was brought up purely by my mastectomy clients, not myself. I'd never heard of it until they brought it up. And it was during um, this one woman's appointment. And she just was, um, we were just, you know, chit-chatting. And she just brought it up in conversation. And I think, um, pretty sure she had a friend there. And they're both like, oh, yeah, 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 the drive-by. That's what this is good for. And I was just like, what are you guys talking about? And... She and it made so much sense, and it just really um, impacted me a lot because um, I never thought about it. But the drive-by was what they would call whenever you basically go past the mirror, like every morning that you wake up and every night before you go to bed. And <clears throat> what happens um, for some um, people that have gone through mastectomy is that whenever you have to um, constantly have to be visually reminded of what you have gone through, um, or maybe you aren't happy with your reconstruction, you know, and you don't like what you see there, you start to um, treat the mirror, that drive-by thing, as something that's really hard, or maybe it's super negative, or it's really painful for you to have to deal with. And then that's something that you're doing every day. I mean, we don't think about it, right? But you probably look at the mirror at least once a day for whatever, brushing your teeth, you got out of the shower. It's just like a very subconscious thing. The, but then after you've had um, gone through a surgery like mastectomy, um, all of a sudden that very um, subconscious, you know, morning or evening routine uh, evolves into this totally different thing for some of these um, people. Totally. I mean, any so, of us have had, the thing that I, it made me think about a little bit is like any of us have had like, uh, a really bad pimple on our face or yeah. like, yep. you know, you get like a scar of some kind or whatever it is, like a cut. 
And every time you like hop out of the shower or whatever it is, it's like you can kind of go through your whole day and forget that it's there and kind of like be yeah. less uh, self-conscious about the whole thing because you forget. And then as soon as you hop out of the shower, as soon as you do whatever and you see this like big pimple still there, you're like, oh my God, that's right. And then, it, you know, just it's just such a bummer to have it just brought back into your, your mind, you know, over and over again. And that's just a pimple. Like I can't imagine having the the body change that uh you know like a mastectomy would would provide yeah i mean and i can't say that this probably speaks for every single person that's gone through a mastectomy and this includes men and women um because there there is a, a lot of advocacy going on by the way to help raise awareness for male breast cancer just to put as a side note but um it's it's not just the body change i mean there's a whole ball of wax that comes with it whenever you get that diagnosis um you know it's it's not just the oh i i have these like you know long scars on my body now after having my breasts cut off basically and for women um you know it's a part of our bodies that we tend to identify pretty heavily with um which you know just kind of makes sense gender wise um and to lose those in itself. But, you know, before that's even happened, like these women have had to deal with the entire cancer diagnosis and treatment, you know, whether or not they went through radiation or chemo, um, having to, you know, uh, also uh, work with uh, the communities of family and friends around them that have uh, had to also work with them through their cancer diagnosis. Um, you know, it all all can culminate into having to look at those those scars sometimes um so there's a lot of, there can be a lot of emotional and mental um stuff that's attached to that as well um yeah it's got to make it just so much easier to let's say like hop out of the shower and brush your hair and and maybe not think about it or like walk walk past a mirror naked or topless or whatever and just keep on walking because it looked pretty normal when you walked by so you don't stop and you know stare at what's happening which uh is great yeah a lot of women tell me that they stopped looking at themselves you know that they just stopped yeah, and so terrible. And, yeah and and that you i can't imagine how tough that is to retrain yourself because you know you just don't want to look at it you don't want to see it um it makes you uncomfortable whatever um, and then to be able to help them with the mastectomy tattooing, um, whether or not it's just to recreate a small nipple and a real for them again, you know, or decorative art and to have them look at themselves in the mirror again and feel okay about it. I mean, you know, it's just, it's really, really, um, a wonderful gift to yeah. be able to, help them, you know, with. Absolutely. Amy, tell us about your, uh, your nonprofit. Yes. So the nonprofit is called Pink Ink Fund. It started right whenever that first client basically came in. And I didn't know a lot about the whole atmosphere of insurance and how it dealt with um, the nipple tattooing. But she was coming in paying out of pocket because her um, insurance wouldn't cover her out of her network. And I had to assume that there must have been, uh, must be, uh, other women out there that would were going to have to deal with the same issue as she was. Um, so it started out as a private private donation fund in 2011 with hopes of becoming a nonprofit. Um, and then we finally got our nonprofit status last year in 2014. 
Um, and its main aim right now is to help out with um, micro grants of 200 or $250 per applicant um, to just help them with their financial needs on getting the mastectomy tattoo that they want. That's so great. I will uh, definitely put a link to that on the website in case anybody uh, wants to donate or just learn more about it and, uh, and everything yes. you've been doing. Um, Thank you. So I just have a few uh, a few quick questions to uh, to kind of round out the interview. So on the on the tattoo side, what sort of education or training is needed, and is there any sort of cost associated with that? Um, it's going to vary per um, apprenticeship and per teacher. Um, that uh, includes what kind of training they're going to get, and also what uh, cost might be involved in there. And cost could be monetary, but uh, it's usually going to be also involving a lot of um, a lot of uh, legwork, a lot of time invested. So just like a in, lot of free labor and stuff like that. Potentially, yeah. Okay. Um, what uh, are there any major barriers to entry for getting into the field? Um, major. That's a good question. <laughs> um, it's. It was really hard when I was trying to get in. I mean, the biggest. Uh, the hardest part is finding someone that, if you care who you learn from, first of all, um, getting them to accept you as an apprentice. I mean, you know, I, I, a lot of times tattoo artists that are already established can be hammered with apprenticeship requests constantly. So, so just know. like bake them a lot of cookies and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I do know a lot of tattooers that, you know way through their to their hearts through their stomach but i can't <laughs> i can't guarantee that that will get you an apprenticeship <laughs> yeah what is is like advice that you wish maybe you could go back and tell yourself when you very first started or what, what advice that maybe you wish that somebody had given you before you got started um well man so i'm really the kind of person who is uh really tries to always look for the positive and everything no matter how good bad you know easier hard it could have been and to be able to be at the place that i'm at now with everything i wouldn't have changed anything from what i have been through you know there was some incredibly difficult times there were two times that i'd almost given up because the um you know the apprenticeships were just not working out with personalities or whatnot um so i don't think for me I know this might sound kind of generalized, but it's it's more about just telling people, like, if you really, really feel like it's something that you want to do, you're going to pursue it no matter how bad things get, you know? Yeah, persist. Like, yeah, just keep on going. Like, the tattoo I got. Yeah, <laughs> you know? man. Just never, never give up, you know? It so, came up in the first question. It came up in the last question. Hey. It's just so <laughs> yeah. all-encompassing, you know? <laughs> yeah. But um, that's the best advice I could give somebody because, um, you know, the tattoo world, I think that's one of the reasons I love it is that it's very, very fluid. There's really not a lot of rules to it. Yeah. Um, you could very easily find an apprenticeship with some really nice people nowadays, um, or it could be one of the toughest things in your life. But at the end of the day, yeah, if it's like if that's what you feel like you're you're meant to do and your heart is telling you you should do it, then, you know, you'll you'll put up with whatever, whatever you can. And. I'll tell you one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard from another tattooer, a guy that I looked up uh, to, and it wasn't even to me. It was to my friend who was going through a lot of really difficult stuff at a shop he was working at. 
and the guy that owned the shop like had, was listening to him, and all he said was, "Dude, just keep your head down and work." <laughs> and, yeah. And he said nothing more. He had no more comments on the drama, and uh, that just really resonated super clear with me. It was just like a you know like someone hit a bell really hard, and I was like, "That's all he said," because the drama was thick, and uh, I I took that to heart, and. Uh, Anytime some stuff would come up with myself, I would think of that because the guy who said it, um, a lot of people looked up to him. Um, he really, you know, he's a really great artist. And I thought, you know, if he's saying it, there must be really something to that one little sentiment. It sounds so simple. And uh, I think I've probably heard that over 10 years ago. And it, it, I can tell you that that simple phrase has definitely been one of the major things that's carried to me me to today right now that's Literally. awesome we'll just leave everyone yeah. with that then just keep your head yeah. down and work that's perfect work. <laughs> amy thank you so much for being with us we appreciate it thank you blake Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. I think now is a good time for me to point out that for every episode of Half Hour Intern, I put a page up on the Half Hour Intern website where I put a table of contents for the episode, as well as links to anything pertinent that we discussed during the show. So for this particular episode, if you would like a link to Amy's uh, charity that she started, if you would like a link to see the tattoo work that Amy has done, including with her mastectomy patients, or if you would like a link to see the TED Talk that Amy did, those will all be up on halfhourintern.com. Thanks so much. Take care.